You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, friends, tonight we are going to look at an absolutely fantastic text penned by the Apostle Peter. I've titled it, The Saint's Inheritance. And I believe it's safe to say that if it were possible for any man to lose his salvation, the Apostle Peter would have been that candidate. Brash, yes. Impetuous, yes. Impulsive, yes. Short-tempered. Yes, quick to react, yes, hot-headed, yes. Peter was all of those things. Yes, if anyone was prone to falling, prone to failing, prone to failure, it was Peter. In fact, Peter is proof positive of the temporal stumbling of a saint. Peter is proof positive that a true believer can make short-term Denials of his Christian faith. So who better? Who better than the man who was prone to failing to write a treatise regarding the perseverance of the saints? Who better to write a doctrinal treatise regarding the preservation of the saints in Peter? But before looking at our text this this evening, allow me for uh, the second time to read to you from the Westminster Confession of Faith once again, where the writer expresses this short-term stumbling that Peter was prone to that can occur to be quite honest in any saint. Under the title, The Perseverance of the Saints, we find this declaration. They whom God has accepted in His beloved, effectually called and sanctified by His Spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. Well, loved ones, Peter, the great apostle Peter, is an example to us of a saint who stumbled headlong for a short time. Friends, our blessed Lord Jesus began to tell his disciples in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 23, these words. He said to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. That's Matthew 16, 21. Then the great Peter, he reacted to this by taking the Lord aside and saying to him in verse 22, Far be it, Lord, that this should happen to you. You know the story, don't you? Far be it, he said to the Lord Jesus Christ, that this should happen to you. Well, do you remember what our Lord said to Peter? in response to that. Did anybody remember that? This is what Jesus said to Peter in verse 23. 
Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now, beloved, to be compared to Satan is quite a scathing rebuke. I don't know how I would have taken it if the Lord would say to me personally, get behind me, Satan. That's what he said to Peter. And here's why. Because Peter's been known for foot and mouth responses. Now, I'm kind of smiling and grinning about that. Because when I've read anything about Peter, I saw somebody in Peter I didn't like. It was myself. I was one of those people who would open his mouth and insert foot often. And that's what Peter's known for. Peter was known for his stumbling actions and words. On the night of the Lord's last meal with his apostles, Jesus told Peter in Luke 22.31, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But Peter said to Jesus in verse 33, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Lord, I'm willing to go with you both to prison and to death. And then Jesus said to Peter in verse 34, Peter, I tell you, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny three times that you know me. Well, we all know that Peter fell headfirst on the night of Jesus' betrayal. Peter cowardly, cowardly denied his Lord three times. We also know that Scripture records, though, that Peter went out and he whipped bitterly. Luke twenty two sixty two records. Loved ones, Peter fell. And Peter fell horribly. But oh, how Peter wanted to be restored. And oh, how wonderful the Lord Jesus Christ restored Peter. And how wonderfully the Lord kept Peter from falling totally and finally from falling away from that state of grace. You see, Jesus said to Peter in that same chapter of Luke 22, verse 32, but I have prayed for you that your faith shall not fail. Yes, Peter fell temporarily, but he never fell totally nor finally. Why? Because Peter was being kept. He was being kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, who better once again than Peter was qualified to write a treatise on the perseverance of the saints? Who better? than the man that fell so severely, so horribly, but was still being kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. So with those opening thoughts, grab your Bibles, open them up to 1 Peter chapter 1. Our text this evening is verses 3 through 5. But you folks know me. I don't like to start right in the middle of a passage. Let's begin in verse 1. Chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Now our text, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, friends, in our text this evening, we have five major points that I want to flush out. And the first point that I want to flush out and present to you is this. It's the origin, the origin of the saints' inheritance. Look with me once again at verse 3. It begins with, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins his treatise regarding the saints' inheritance with an opening salutation of praise. That's what this is. It's an opening salutation of praise. And he has a whole lot to be praising God for, and that's why he's opening up this epistle with that great salutation of praise. Now this passage of praise is really, it's a hymn. It's a hymn of worship. It was designed to encourage the Christians living in a hostile world. For the Christians to look past their temporal situation and look and rejoice in their eternal inheritance. That was his purpose. He understood that these blessed saints were being persecuted in Rome by Nero. And they were scattered. They were the dispersion. And what he wanted them to do was not be focusing on their difficulties, but to look to see what God has done for this great inheritance of theirs. And so he opens this blessed passage with those words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So as a means of encouragement, Peter's pay-in of praise is meant for believers to grasp more fully their eternal inheritance. And it begins with that phrase, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The intention is for God's people to recognize that the only response to our salvation is to bless God. That's our only response. And that's a great response. Bless God. Because our salvation is strictly from God. So the origin of the saint's inheritance is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because the origin of the saint's salvation is because of God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a twofold thing here. The salvation of the saints and the saints' inheritance. So right from the get-go, Peter begins his doctrinal treatise regarding the salvation of the elect. He uses the word in verse 2. He's writing to the elect. 
the elect according to the foreknowledge of God. And he wants that elect to understand that their salvation is strictly because of God the Father. So suffice it to say, regarding your salvation, friends, that God planned it, Jesus purchased it, and the Holy Spirit preserves it. Now, I've also heard it said that God thought it, Jesus bought it, and the Holy Spirit wrought it. We have all of that found in this opening text right here. Verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. Now, either way, Peter's only response to his salvation and the inheritance that goes with it was to bless God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, may I say that that is the same response that the great apostle Paul proclaimed for his salvation and its eternality? I'd like to show that to you. Put your finger in, in Peter and drop back to the book Ephesians, would you please? A text that it's so familiar to all of you, Ephesians chapter 1. This is the exact same thing that Paul said. And Paul, like Peter, had nothing else he could say except to bless God for his salvation. And so to the Ephesian church, Paul makes this magnificent praise to God also. Verse 3 of chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. In Christ. And I'd like to keep going, but I'll have to save that for another time. But Paul's only response, just like Peter, was to bless God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, you and me, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Beloved, the same response was from Peter. Because like Paul... Peter too recognized that the origin of the saints' inheritance is none other than God himself. And thus he opened up with the passage, blessed be the God and Father. So point number one, the origin of the saints' inheritance, God the Father. Point number two is the cause of the saints' inheritance. Look at verse three once again. It's according to God's abundant mercy. Now, the New American Standard rendered verse 3, according to God's great mercy. Now, friends, God's abundant and God's great mercy is the cause, or we could say the motive behind God granting believers an eternal inheritance. In other words, God's great mercy is the cause responsible for your eternal inheritance. And not only does Peter address God's great mercy as the motivating factor to the saints' inheritance, but once again, so does Paul. So grab your Bibles once again and turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 this time. 
Paul had something to say also about God's great mercy and abundance. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. And I can't stand it. I've got to start in verse 1 again. It's just too rich. Verse 1. And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Now listen to what Paul says next. But God, but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Friends, our great God Our great God, who is rich in mercy and because of His great love, is the cause for our perseverance and therefore He is the cause of our inheritance. Our great God. Our great God and His great love and His great mercy and His abundant mercy is the cause. Friends, it's interesting that both Peter and Paul add these two adjectives, great and rich, to describe God's motivation behind God's salvation for the elect. They both added those two adjectives, great and rich, to describe God's motivation. And because of God's great mercy and great love, He chose to grant the eternality of our salvation and Preserve the saints' inheritance therein. Thus, beloved, God is also the cause of the saints' inheritance. He is the origin of the saints' inheritance, and He is the cause of the saints' inheritance. Our third point found in our text. The source of the saints' inheritance. Verse 3 once again. Would you look with me? Peter says that God has begotten us again to a living hope. Peter continues his treatise on the perseverance of the saints by stating that God has begotten us again to this living hope. Well, once again, I like the New American Standard, the NASB once again. It translated this phrase more accurately, I believe, by rendering that God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. The phrase, God has begotten us, or God has caused us, is in what we call the aorist tense. The aorist tense in the original Greek language. Now that's important because the aorist tense literally means this, that God is the source. That's what it really means. That tense is saying that God is the source of your inheritance. He's the source that causes us to be born again. 
That's how important tenses are. The aorist tense literally means that God is the source that causes us to be born again. Once again, it goes right back to what I said in the very beginning of our study. That God is solely, holy, and uh, God is fully, solely, and wholly responsible for our salvation. The text here tonight is saying that God is the source of being born again. The active voice of the tense points to the decisive work of God in the regeneration of God's elect. Big word. Regeneration. In other words, the born-again experience of the believer has been provided according to the good pleasure of God's will. Paul said that in Ephesians chapter 1. You know what? Let's look at that passage. Are you guys still in Ephesians? You turn back to Peter. Let's go back to Ephesians chapter 1. I got to flush that out. I just can't ignore that passage. Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 3 once again, and we're going to go down to verse 11. I might sneak one or two more into this in case. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. There it is again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now Paul is going to launch into all of those blessings. He says, Just as God chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to the adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself. Look what it says. According to the good pleasure of his will according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved now you think paul would be done but he's not look at verse 7 in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of God's grace. And he's still not done. Which he made to abound towards us in all wisdom and prudence. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth in Him. And in Him also, look what it says, we have obtained an inheritance. Same word. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Friends, it is God's will that He regenerate us. It is God's will that He gives us an eternal inheritance. And anything that God does is completed. 
He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day. That means your inheritance. The source of the saint's inheritance is twofold. First, by God, causing us to be born again to a living hope. The second thing, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The first source is God and God causing us to be born again to a living hope. And the second source, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me say something a little different. First, before the believer can persevere in the faith, he has to be what? Born again. Before the believer can persevere in faith, he has to be regenerated. He has to be born again. Now Peter is saying in order for Christians to persevere to eternal life, they must experience God's new birth. That's what he's saying. In fact, Peter's emphatic about it. New life. New birth. Regeneration. Being born again has to take place first by the power of God. Look at 1 Peter. We're going to sneak ahead. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God. Well, let's take a closer look at this. Let's just look a little bit closer at this. The power of God. Put your finger in Peter. And go over to the Gospel of John chapter 1, please. Again, I think it's going to be a very familiar passage to you. While you're turning there, new birth, new life, regeneration, being born again, has to take place first by the power of God. Nobody else. Now look what John says in John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. This is a powerful statement. This will eliminate any thoughts that you had anything to do with your new birth. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but God. But God. It's not in my notes, but I just can't stand it. We've got to go to Philippians, please. Turn over to Philippians, chapter 2, verse 13. I, I, I believe Paul said something very similar. Very similar. You know it. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. 
Everybody there? Look at verse 13 with me. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for what? His good pleasure. Turn over to Titus chapter 3, would you please? Titus chapter 3. Again, a very familiar passage to all of us. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. I'll pick it up in verse 4. Everybody there? Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. Whom He poured out on us abundantly. Abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Is that rich? Isn't that rich? Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. James wanted in on it too. Would you turn over please to James chapter 1. Verse 18 is what we want to look at. But I again, I like verse 17 too, so I got to read it. James chapter 1. Verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, verse 18 is what I want you to key in on. Of God's own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruit of His creatures. Friends, every single one of these verses points to God. God is the one who has begotten us again. God has done it. The New King James. NASB says God has caused us to be born again. And the last one we just looked at, James said the same thing. God has brought us forth. Thus, God. God is the source of the saint's salvation and therefore, God is the source of the saint's inheritance. They go together. We can't separate them. God's responsible for the salvation of the soul. God's going to see to it that that soul is preserved and inherits heaven. 
Now allow me to illustrate this further. Turn over to Matthew chapter 18, would you please? Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. Matthew chapter 18, verses 12 through 14. Everybody there? Verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish." Isn't that rich? Is it clear? We don't need any exposition on that, do we? Beloved, God's not going to lose one of us. He's not. The origin of the saint's inheritance is God. The cause of the saint's inheritance is God the source of the saints? Inheritance is God. Do you not clearly see the source? It's impossible to miss it. Verse 14. It is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of his little ones should perish. In Matthew 18, not one. Now, the second way that God is the source of the saints' inheritance is just as rich. Look with me, would you, back in 1 Peter chapter 3? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, remember that Peter's letter is written to believers scattered, dispersed amongst the Roman Empire because of the serious persecution from that Roman emperor Nero. The Emperor Nero, he was evil. He was wicked. A brutal persecutor of the Christian churches. And the churches were named here in 1 Peter. So this letter was written as an encouragement to persevere in the faith until the end because these people were being so severely persecuted. And Peter's establishing the great praise due to God for their salvation and the eternality of it. And so he begins this anthem of praise by asserting and reminding them that their salvation began with God. And if their salvation began with God, their salvation will end with God. But he wasn't done. He wanted them to be more blessed. And he says with the salvation comes the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And that living hope is a great source of encouragement to press on and to persevere unto that inheritance. Now remember that our living hope stands in sharp contrast to the empty 
frustrating, deceptive, false hope of this world. Remember that. You and I have a living hope. We have a hope that anchors us for salvation. The world doesn't have that. Their hope is empty. Their hope is a frustrated hope. Their hope is a short-lived hope. But yours and mine, it was specifically said to be a living hope. Our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus arose. Our hope is in the present. Jesus is alive. Our hope is completed in the future because Jesus is coming. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning jewel in Christ's redemptive work and the valid foundation for all of God's saving plan, both present and future. Now that's a mouthful. I want to repeat that one more time because it's critical. I hope you catch this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is the crowning jewel in Christ's redemptive work and the valid foundation for all of God's saving plan, both present and future. Now, I'd like to show that to you. Turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 11, please. I want to illustrate that. Chapter 11, verses 25 through 26. Now, this is Jesus raising Lazarus. And this is Jesus, I believe, speaking to Martha. And Jesus said to her in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He's talking to Martha about himself. Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. And all of us who believe in him will never die. We might physically die, yes. Not spiritually die. Why? Because he's reserved an inheritance for us and that is a living hope that we live with. It's a promise. It's a guarantee. So friends, because Christ rose from the dead, according to Peter here, he forever secured the saints' inheritance. If Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, we have no inheritance. Our faith is futile. But I want you to leave here tonight knowing that Jesus Christ did resurrect from the dead and he secured our inheritance forever. He secured it. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. I'm going to sneak in front of Pastor Jim for a second. Verse 19. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. 
Everybody there? The writer of Hebrews said this about this hope. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. Now, we've looked at that before, but we've got to look at it again. We have a living hope in Jesus Christ because of his resurrection. And because of that resurrection from the dead, he forever secured the saints' inheritance. And the writer of Hebrews is telling you, this hope that we have, it's an anchor of your soul. And it's both sure and steadfast. It's absolute. It's absolute. It's not going away. Point number four. The nature of the saints' inheritance. Look at verse four. Back in Peter, I'm sorry. Back in Peter. I'll wait till everybody's there. The nature of the saints' inheritance. Verse 4. Ready there? Peter says, To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Now may I say that verse 4 is the nature or better the description, if you will. It's the description of the saint's inheritance. Now, the nature of the saint's inheritance is fourfold. Peter describes the saint's inheritance with four descriptive terms. Look with me once again at verse 4. The first description, your inheritance is incorruptible. It means this, not liable or subject to death or destruction. It's not subject to death and it's not subject to destruction. It's not liable. Now, the New American Standard translated the word incorruptible with imperishable. That's a better, better translation. Imperishable, a much better rendering from the original Greek language. That word imperishable, it literally means not subject to decay. Not subject to decay. It can't rot. Everything in our world is rotting. It either rots, moths eat it, or it rusts, or thieves steal it. Okay? Your inheritance will not decay. It's imperishable. Unlike all earthly things that are subject to death and decay, our inheritance is incorruptible because it belongs to the heavenly realm where neither moth nor rust, Matthew 6.20, can can eat it up. Now the second description is the word undefiled, meaning our inheritance is not subject to the stain of sin. Loved ones, you and I all know that sin has defiled all of creation at the fall. Sin has defiled all of creation at the fall. But because our inheritance has been provided by Christ, not you and I, it is therefore undefiled and not tainted by sin. Isn't that magnificent? Everything in our world is tainted with sin and defiled. Everything. Everything in our world is perishing. 
not our inheritance. It won't decay. It's not tainted by sin. It's incorruptible. It's imperishable. Now, I like this third one. The third description, our inheritance does not fade away. Meaning, it'll never lose its brilliance and its magnificence. Now, I like that one the best. It will never fade away. It'll never lose its brilliance. First Peter chapter 1, verse 24 and 25. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of God endureth how long? Forever. Forever. And so too, the word of God describes the saints' inheritance as never fading away. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 4 please Peter said this right after he's exhorting us to honor our elders the men who shepherd the flock He says, and when the chief shepherd, and the chief shepherd is the Lord Jesus Christ, and when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. Is that rich? Do you see the brilliance of it right now and the magnificence of it? Nothing can defile it. It's incorruptible. It does not fade away. And the fourth description, the saint's inheritance. I love this. I have reservations not too often anywhere because I can't afford it some of these places. But one of the places I like to have reservations set up is Lori loves uh, 41 South? North 40. North 40. No. Forty-one South. She loves Forty-one South. Let's get a reservation and let's get one right by the fireplace. Well, friends, our inheritance, your inheritance, my inheritance, all those that are true believers in Jesus Christ, your inheritance is reserved. Where, where does it say it's reserved? Not at Forty-one South. Reserved in heaven for you and for me. We have a reservation awaiting us. Heaven. That reservation can't be, can't be removed, can't be crossed out. Somebody isn't going to step in front of you. That reservation's for you, for me. Now, Having pledged that the saint's inheritance is permanent in nature, Peter adds to his reader's security by declaring that the believer's inheritance is is reserved in heaven. I love that. 
I want to have dinner at, in heaven before we ever have dinner again at 41 South. I definitely don't want dinner at, uh, at North 40. The nature of the saints' inheritance. Beloved, it's fixed. It's fixed and it's unalterable. It can't be altered. You see, the word reserve literally means this, guarded or watched over. Now you know me in this perfect tense. I like to discuss the perfect tense. I like to stress it. The perfect tense of the phrase reserved in heaven conveys the idea that the inheritance was placed under safekeeping and that the preservation of it is still in force. And that preservation goes on and on and on and continues and continues and continues. That's the importance of the present tense. It's ongoing and continuing. The perfect tense also implies that God is the one guarding, that God is watching over and keeping safe the saints' inheritance. So in short, the inheritance is certain because God's watchful eye. Who better to be watching after us but God? Who better to keep Peter than God or Christ or His Holy Spirit? God's watchful eye is looking after our inheritance and its preservation in heaven adds to the measure of its safety. Is there any safer deposit box than heaven? We're told to not store up our treasures on earth, but to store up our treasures where? In heaven, where they're safe forever. Who better than God the Father in heaven watching out for our inheritance? Friends, your inheritance is safely out of reach of any destructive forces. And this inheritance is reserved in heaven for you. This phrase for you makes it personal. Put your name in there. It makes it personal and it also makes it specific to who? Does anybody know where I'm going with that? Who is specifically has an inheritance awaiting them reserved in heaven? Who specifically? I'll give you a clue. Verse 2. Who, who did he write to? Who? The elect. He's right. The phrase for you makes it personal to you, and you happen to be the elect. What a blessing. We are God's elect. The great apostle Paul, you know, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, you know what he said about us? Your citizenship's in heaven. Peter said the same thing. The nature of the saint's inheritance is reserved in heaven for you, incorruptible, undefiled, and does not fade away. Our fifth point, the strength of the saint's inheritance. Verse 5. Oh, this one just grips my soul deep. 
verse 5, who are kept by the power of God. Friends, this is the heart and soul of the passage. This is the heart and soul of the saints' inheritance. This is the heart and soul of the eternality of our salvation. This is the heart and soul of the security of the saints. So I want to go back to verse 3 and read through to verse 5 in order for us to grasp the full thrust of this passage. Let's go back and read it one more time together. Verse, uh, let's start at the beginning. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Elect. Gosh, I love that word. Elect. And look who were elect according to the foreknowledge of who? God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. And then he launches into it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you because we are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to reveal in the last time. Beloved, the key to the believer's perseverance, the key to the believer's preservation, the key to the believer's inheritance is because God is keeping you and me from stumbling. God's doing it. Because God is keeping you from totally and finally falling away from the state of grace. The key to the eternality of your salvation, it rests in the divine strength, the divine power of God to keep you. Now look once again at verse 5. You are kept by the power of God. Now the New American Standard rendered verse 5 this way. You are protected by the power of God. The NIV rendered verse 5, you are shielded by the power of God. All three, beloved, are accurate. All three of these translations, King, New King James, NASB, and NIV, they're accurate. They're very accurate. Kept by the power, protected by the power, and shielded by the power. Now these three words come from the same Greek word, which literally means this, to keep, to protect, to guard. It's a military term implying strength. Strength. And the word conveys the idea that the heirs of salvation need keeping, protecting, and guarding from the enemies of their soul. And furthermore, the entire phrase has been purposely set. Guess what tense? Present. Almost. Present. It's been set in the present tense. The keeping, the protecting, and the guarding activity is continual and it never ceases until the last time. Do you understand that it's not a one-time deal? It goes on and on and on and on and on to the end. 
to the last time, to the last day, to the day of Christ Jesus. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the end. It goes on and on and on. You can't think for one minute, don't even even entertain it, that God stops. Mm -mm. The present tense tells you different. It's continual. Friends, the keeping, the protecting, and the guarding activity is continuing and it never ceases until the last time. That is, until you arrive in heaven. Friends, the strength is identified as the power of God. Thus, the strength behind the saint's inheritance is the power of God. In other words, we're kept coupled by the power of God. You see, God's power is the guard, the garrison for the saints' inheritance. God's power is the garrison for your preservation, the garrison for your perseverance, the garrison for your eternal security. God's power. Now, I'm not sure I need to develop this a little further but I'm running early. Turn over to Jude. That little one chapter book right before Revelation. So I won't tell you to turn to Jude chapter 1. I'll tell you to turn to Jude chapter or excuse me, Jude 24 and 25. Now, we've looked at this before, but we've got to look at it again. But you know what? Look at verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Look who he's addressing this to. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father. And look what it says next. And preserved in Jesus Christ. He's writing to the called, the sanctified by God the Father, and the folks that are preserved in Jesus Christ. Once again, really the elect. Now at the very end of this little epistle, look what he says. Now to him who is able to what? Keep you. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forevermore. Amen. Friends, Jude says in verse 1 that we are preserved by Jesus Christ. The called ones are preserved by Jesus Christ. Now the word preserve, it comes from the great, excuse me, the Greek word, same Greek word as, guess what? The word kept. The word kept. The word preserved 
could have been translated kept by Jesus Christ. Why did he use preserved? I don't know. But it happens to be the same Greek word as kept. You are both preserved by the Lord Jesus Christ and kept by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now put your finger in Jude. Stay there. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, please. Everybody there? Paul said this to the Thessalonians. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who calls you is who he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. You see that word preserved again? Preserved, blameless. Same word as Jude. Once again, we have the same words that Peter and Jude use in their letters. Paul's using it. Paul could have rendered verse 23 kept blameless. He, pre- he used preserved. Same word. Now turn back to Jude once again and look at it. We're going to look at this epistle quite a bit through our studies. Once again, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called and sanctified by God the Father and preserved or kept in Jesus Christ. Verse 24, now to him who is able to preserve you. We could have used that word or keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forevermore. Beloved, now to Him, to Jesus Christ, who is able to keep you from stumbling, or to him who is able to preserve you from stumbling, or to him who is able to protect you from stumbling, or to him who is able to guard you from stumbling. The language is ambiguous. It is as clear as a bell. You could never miss something like this. Jesus' half-brother Jude is praising God the Father because he is able to keep you and I from stumbling. And he has the greatest helper at his side, our intercessor, the Lord Jesus Christ. And make note that only he 
is able to keep you from stumbling. And make note of this. He is also able to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The strength of the saints' inheritance. It rests on the fact that you and I are being kept by the power of God. Now, I said to you earlier that Peter is proof positive of a believer who can temporarily stumble. But because he has been kept by the power of God, he never falls totally nor finally. So I'd like to show you how God's protecting power kept Peter from totally and finally falling. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 22. I'm going to show you how it was done. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32. And I said to you, I want to show you how the Lord kept him from stumbling totally and finally. You folks there? Verse 31. And Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. Now look at what our Lord did for Peter. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Does anybody have any idea when did Jesus pray for Peter? I, I believe you know. John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. Remember that? Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. Verse 32 of of, uh, Luke 22. And when Jesus prays for anyone, he always prays in the Father's will. Every time. Paul said in 1 Timothy 2, verse 5, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 7.25 said this, Therefore Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. You see, Jesus is the mediator. He's the intercessor behind the keeping power of God. And Jesus always lives to make intercession for God's elect. Always. Will you give me a couple more minutes? John 17, please. Everybody there? 
Now, the first thing I'd like to bring to your attention is that John 17, as you know, has historically been recognized as Christ's high priestly intercessory prayer. So first off, we need to establish who is Christ interceding for. If that's what it's known for, who's he interceding for? Look with me, please, at verse 2. As you, Father, have given me authority over all flesh, that I should give eternal life to as many as you have given me. Friends, Jesus is praying to God the Father on behalf of all believers whom the Father gave to Christ, both now and forevermore. Now look at verse 4. Jesus says, I finished the work which you gave me to do. Well, what is the work which the Father gave Jesus to do? What's that work? Well, one of those roles is to keep those whom God gave him. You see, Christ's intercessory prayer is only for those whom God has given to Christ. Now look at verse 9, please. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Beloved, this intercessory prayer of Jesus is an appeal to God, the Father, on behalf of those whom God gave to Christ. In other words, this prayer is for the elect only, for believers only, for saints only. And the saints, my friend, are those whom God gave to Christ. Now let's look at verse 11 through 15. Jesus says, Now I am no longer in the world, but these, those who God gave Christ, the elect, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father. Look what he says. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Verse 13, but now I come to you and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should what? Keep them. Keep them from the evil one. Loved ones, it is the business of the good shepherd to keep his sheep. That means that he always keeps a watchful eye on them. And so Christ kept Peter from falling totally. And finally, he kept Peter from the evil one. Christ didn't save Peter for a temporary enterprise. No, he saved Peter for eternity and guaranteed him for that future glory. 
But not only did Jesus keep Peter from stumbling, but God the Father was engaged keeping Peter also. Now, we've we're, we're got seven minutes. Drop back to John chapter 10, verse 27. God the Father was involved in this too. In John chapter 10, verse 27, we find this. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one's able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, because I and my Father are one. Beloved, no one was able to snatch Peter out of Christ and God the Father's hand. Nobody. That's why Jesus could say with certainty in John chapter 11, 41 through 42, Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I know that you always hear me. And may I say with assurance, that Christ is always praying to the Father to keep those whom the Father gave him, and that includes all those who have embraced Jesus Christ today. I'm going to close here. Turn over to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, please. I think we've already looked at this, but we'll look at it again. Second Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. Paul said this, But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Turn back to 2 Timothy, please. Turn back. 2 Timothy 1.12. This is a great song, and I won't do you the disservice of singing it again. Paul said this, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep. To keep what I have committed him until that day. You see, the saints' inheritance rests in the power of God through the Lord Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And as heirs of God, we are kept, we are protected, we are guarded by the power of God. And because God is immutable, that is, unchanging, the elect shall be saved unto eternal life. And the keeping power of God is the strength of the saint's inheritance, coupled by the intercession of Jesus Christ and the engagement of the Holy Spirit. 
Well, let's turn back where we first began. Turn back, please, to 1 Peter. Let's close tonight by reading this great anthem of praise one more time. Let's finish where we first began together tonight. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Beloved, the perseverance of the saints, it's not dependent on a Christian. It's not dependent on a Christian keeping himself in good standing with God. The saints inheritance is fully, solely, and wholly dependent upon God's grace, God's mercy, and God's power to keep us. That's why the hymn writer wrote, O to grace, how great a debtor, daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. O oh, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we end our study of the perseverance of the saints tonight. And this passage, though it's so short is so packed with such magnificent blessings. It points to you, it points to your son, and it has everything to do with what you have done on our behalf. And I bow before you, uh, not in fear, but in awe of your greatness, in awe of your holiness, your, your reverence, I'm in awe of your perfection. And your mercy and your grace has been showered upon us all here tonight. Been showered upon us by saving us, making us your elect, or calling us out of darkness in your marvelous light, and then keeping us. Keeping us for an inheritance that is reserved in heaven. That's undefiled, imperishable. Father, you deserve all the glory and all the honor, and we exalt your holy, righteous name. And before you tonight, we say thank you. And forever, we will rejoice in what you've done on our behalf. Help us now as we leave here tonight 
to take these truths and let them soak up into our hearts and saturate our minds with how great thou art. And indeed you are. And we say thank you, and we do indeed love you. And we pray these things in the magnificent name of your precious and most dearest Son, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.